0: several times already to this beautiful day, or if you didn't catch it, I was thinking it. On the way to church this morning, I thought, what a lovely Lord's Day. But it's a gift from God, and it it needs to, our response to it needs to be worship and adoration for our creator, sustainer, giver of life, and all the gifts that we are given Then I also had to think, you know, is there a place for a day that would be cold and dreary and rainy, that our hearts should be dismal, or do we take opportunity then to thank God for his sustaining grace and his goodness in spite of conditions and so on? And I thought that was interesting that my mind went there because there is a sense in which that kind of symbolizes what we're facing in, in life right now. In terms of the, the, uh, the cloud over our nation right now politically and so on and the cloud over us that has come through the pandemic, uh, there's a sense in which it's a, more, a little more difficult to, to thank God for all the good things around us. It's uh, easier to take up concern and, and see things in a way that are, is discouraging but the challenge is that we we give our hearts to god and thank him for being with us and giving us the grace to sustain us through these difficulties and we still need to be able to worship him and look to him at a time like this and so this morning i just challenge us to be able in our spirits to be open to the reality of the goodness of God, no matter what circumstances we experience and face, changes we might have to endure. God is still the same God. He deserves the same praise. And There is a sense in which when things are more difficult and life is more distressed, that those times actually can serve to help us realize how how God is there because we feel a, a little more helplessness and we have a little bit more of a prompting sometimes to reach out to, to him for bringing us through those times uh, when when things are, are bright and nice. It is easy to be distracted by how wonderful things are and forget that they are a gift from God. And so uh, it's, it's a matter of perspective. And I guess that would lead us into the message this morning. I want us to, to consider our perspective in our relationship with God. Where are we, and how do we get to where we ought to be? How how should our relationship be functioning? And to go there, it's appropriate to ask the question, what was on God's mind? What was God's intention when he created man? Why did he put us on the earth, and why did he orchestrate life situations the way he did? You know, I've heard it said, I've heard the question If God is a God of love, why did he allow evil to permeate the societies and the reality of humankind? And I've had that question. I've asked that question already, within my mind at least. And I heard it explained this way, and I I feel like it's it's a correct explanation. If God did not give us the choice of our will, we would not be able to love. And to be able to have a choice, there needs to be a reason to choose. And so he allowed evil to come into the picture to give us that, that necessity to choose between evil and good, between his way or another way. You see, love is not an emotion. Love creates emotion, but love, or uh, yes, love or emotion, is not love. Love is a choice. It is a choosing, a determining to have an attitude, to have actions that actually demonstrate a servant's heart for the benefit of others. That's love. And when we properly exercise those choices, then our emotions are touched properly and we experience the joy of love. And I want us to think about that as we go through this message because God gave us this opportunity to exist, to live, express a life of choice. And early in the creation situation, we know what happened. Adam and Eve took the wrong choice. They demonstrated that contrast between the love of God and the love of self. They were attempting to replace God's sustenance in their lives by their own reaching out to fulfill the needs of their life on their own basis of knowledge and understanding and desire. And that has ever since been the plight of mankind. We all are faced with those decisions of do I serve self in my own interest or do I serve with a selfless desire to to give myself into God's hand to be uh, surrendered to his will and his purposes for the good of our relationship with God and our relationship with mankind. I stressed these things at the beginning because I plan to elaborate on them, but I want you to think about it in the context of what I've shared. I want to also say at this point, I really appreciate shaded the devotional meditation and the emphasis on the Holy Spirit's work in all the processes that God has designed and developed for our relationship with him. And I want to touch on that, actually punctuate that a little bit in the message at a certain point. I'd like to start out by reading the passage, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. It's in this passage that we have Paul's um, explanation of what communion is, how it came about. And so I, I set this just as the, the background for furthering our discussion here. Beginning at verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat and drink this bread, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come." What does it mean to show the Lord's death till he comes? Well, that word show could be interpreted different ways, than it is. But the one I want us to think about this morning is that that we demonstrate the reality of his death as it works out itself in my life for his glory. That's how we are showing his death till he comes. Now, for that to happen, there's certain things we need to understand. There's certain things we need to think about. There's certain things we need to allow to happen in our life's experience, so that we properly show the Lord's death till he comes. Now, I want to move from there back to the Old Testament and look at the type, symbolism, whatever, that we find in Exodus that actually led up to Jesus instituting communion. The forerunner of communion actually was the Passover. I think we understand what the Passover was, Um, I thought to read this account, we all know it very well, and yet we have some young people among us that maybe haven't heard it so often as we have. So I think I'll read this and make some explanations, uh, not detailed, but give some, just a, a little snapshot glimpse of the setting of the Passover in the Old Testament as it was instituted and then carried out. And of course, remember, that Jesus was still obedient to the law and carrying out the Passover, and he was doing that just prior to instituting the communion reality. Actually, I want us to be aware and think of it in these terms. If I don't say it later, I want to make sure it's understood now that at this juncture, in the transition of the Old Testament to the New, Jesus was actually replacing the the Passover with communion and because there was a connection. And I want us to to just be aware that this is not somebody's contriving that, oh, this kind of fits, but it was God's intention to establish the Passover because of the truth that was embedded in it that related to the future reality of what Christ would do and what he would establish from that point on for the Christian church. So beginning at verse 3 of Exodus 12, to speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, male of the first year. Ye shall take it out of, out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Each family would kill the lamb that they had chosen at the same time in the evening. Verse 7, and They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper post of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast it roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the puterous thereof. Ye shall let nothing, nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be upon and the blood shall be upon you for a token upon the houses where ye are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. When I smite the land of Egypt, this day shall you be and this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. You see, Jesus was being obedient to this last verse. He was still keeping the Passover. Now, it's interesting that it says that this ordinance ordinance should continue forever, and in a sense, it did. In a sense, it didn't continue forever, but in the sense that I mentioned earlier, it was transitioned to communion, and so communion is actually a fulfilling of, of this mandate of keeping this ordinance forever, a memorial. And so this morning, we are continuing to honor God's requirement for us to acknowledge, his work in our behalf through exercise of communion, and we can learn some things about communion as we look at how the Passover was conducted and what it was about. Just briefly mention about the lamb. The lamb was to be without blemish, perfect. It was to be a male. It was to be the firstborn. And that lamb was a symbol It was a type of Christ who was the firstborn in his family. He was also the firstborn from the dead. He was also perfect. There's some other things about Jesus that are noticed here or or implied here. And that is that this lamb was to be taken from the flock on the 10th day. And he was to be observed for four days to be sure he was without blemish. On the 10th day of the same month, in, the, in Jesus' time, Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem on the very same day. He entered the house of God, so to speak, or the house of the children of Israel. And he was observed and, temp- and tested for four days. He was questioned by all the different sects of Jewish people. He answered them correctly. He answered them without flaw. And they even said, we can find no fault in this man. And yet, when they came to try him, they made up things. But he was perfect. And then Jesus was also killed in the evening of the 14th day. There wasn't but coincidence. God orchestrated these things to help us understand the reality that he had a plan all through time that was focused on our redemption on his love for us. And I'll be honest with you, as I studied for this message, as I I, uh, allowed the introspection to take place in my life the last couple weeks, I really came to realize that these things, as important as they are, are not as important in my mind as they should be. I don't give them enough time um, for meditation and, and consideration. And I've been challenged by that. I want that to be the reality in my life that I worship God based on an an acknowledgement of what He's done for me more often. You know, I think that's one of the antidotes for selfishness, for self interest in the pursuit of our own life's endeavors and goals. To help us to keep that from crowding out our allegiance. Our love for our Savior. And so I want to challenge us in the message to that end as well. Now, I'd like to go back to. <clears throat> oh, there's a couple things I want to mention about, about this uh, Passover yet that I, I haven't touched on. And that is this that this lamb was to be eaten, all of it, it said. It said. Now, it wasn't to be that there were unedibles involved that even mentioned some of those, but all that was edible was to be eaten. In other words, the type here that is that we don't limit ourselves to just a portion of Christ, but we allow him to be complete in our experience and to meet our needs completely. You see, it's, it's kind of interesting, eating this lamb actually was transposed to eating bread in the communion now we don't eat all of it but all of us partake of the complete whole and same is true there not one person ate the whole lamb but the whole lamb was appropriated to meet all the needs it's interesting also that that lamb was to be roasted with fire it was not to be boiled in water it was not to be eaten raw it was to be specifically roasted properly and eaten accordingly. The type that we see here is that Jesus was to suffer. Fire and suffering are symbolic. Uh, fire symbolizes suffering. And to, uh, it, his suffering was not watered down, there was no bypass of that suffering, in, in that we could have gone straight to have him without his suffering, raw. There's some important details that we can thank God exist because it it really exemplifies his love for us and his thoroughness in providing for us. Now, I'd like to mention the blood on the doorpost. They ate the lamb, and then there was blood involved. And the blood was applied to the doorpost so that when the angel passed over, and of course this is where you get the, the term Passover, as the angel of death passed over, when he saw the blood, that household was exempt from death. And that carries over to communion in this, that in the New Testament actually, in, in our understanding of salvation from sin, sin is only properly dealt with when it is, when it is put under the blood when the blood of Christ is applied to it. Now, how do we apply that blood? It's not that we dip into some blood and sprinkle it somewhere in our life, but this is symbolic of our faith in the reality of Christ's shed blood covering our sins. It's that faith that keeps that blood applied to my heart. And it's by that that keeps me prepared for Jesus coming and returning with him and not being affected by the death angel that will strike all those who are not in Christ in judgment. We have a lot to thank God for. We have a lot to talk about and a lot to tell others about because if we truly love God, then we truly love our neighbor. We truly love each other and if we truly love our neighbor. Why would we want to see him Face the judgment because of lack of blood, and he hasn't been taught. It's sobering, and this is a sobering thought that has really clenched me lately. We live in a time when things are very uncertain. And I understand that in, uh, in some other ministries that they're finding that young people, especially, are very hungry to know truth. They want to know, they're concerned about what's happening. And they, in their hearts, realize there's something that is provided and they appreciate being told. The challenge for me is, and I believe for us should be, how seriously are we taking the opportunities to help people understand the need, the blood in their life? It tends to be a sticky subject, so to speak. We think, well, people don't know their Bibles, they don't understand, and I don't have time to preach some sermons, so why mention it? And I don't raise this as a glorification of, of my accomplishments. fact is, I've, I've just acknowledged, I feel like I fall for, far short. But recently, uh, out and about, I was working and I bumped into to, uh, several men about my age and we were talking about life situations, possibly some politics and whatever. And I was able to to bring them to the point of considering sometime Jesus is going to wrap things up. We don't know which cycle of political upheaval or, or world dumb, uh, uh, situations what's going to happen. But there's a time coming. The scripture predicts it. I believe the scriptures. There's a time coming when Jesus is going to bring a combination to things and only those who are looking for his return are going to experience the salvation of that moment. I mentioned that to this this one businessman, and it was like, uh, oh, yeah. Well, he said, when that time comes, I just want to be sitting on my front porch with my children having a good time. And I didn't really push him on it, but I let him know there's more there than that. That won't cut at that point. And then one of his counterparts out working on the same crew bumped into a little later, or another crew, associated with the same job, And we were talking about some similar things and I was able to just just gently uh, remind him of some of these important things in life. And his response was kind of similar. It was like, well, uh, he goes to church and he knows the Lord understands. And actually, maybe it was because he said something about working on Sunday and I said, uh, you don't feel like uh, honoring the Lord is important on the Lord's day? And he said, Well, he said, God understands what we need and what we're doing and so on. But, you know, I don't feel like I scored a a real, um, how would you say, a a real solid hit or or point with those men on the one hand. On the other hand, in praying for them, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts anyway. And the little bit of reference to the word of God can open the door for the word of God to start speaking by the Holy Spirit. And so I'd say that simply to challenge us on our daily life experience. Are we taking it seriously enough that we're meditating, we're thinking, we're, this is part of our, our thankfulness to God, our worship, our daily worship. Does it, does it? are we connected enough that we've applied the blood to our life enough that it's real enough that each day I'm, I'm open to the opportunity to share this truth because it's fresh in my mind, in my heart. You see, we need to practice the Passover of our life experience every day. We need to apply the blood. Apostle Paul says I die daily, and that dying daily means I apply the faith to the reality of Christ's death that I identify with it on a daily basis. Now, I'd like to go to verse twenty seven now of Corinthians eleven. Continuing where we left off, where it says that ye shall show that ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And by the way, what I was just sharing is one of the aspects of showing the Lord's death till He come. It's sharing the reality of it with others. Verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. These verses actually lay out, or they fortify what I had just shared about this daily reality of applying the blood to our life. You see, applying blood to our life is is a matter of dying to self self interest to to inappropriate life experience that we really should call sin. We 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 have those times when we realize we have violated the righteousness of God, the mind of God, and the reality is that sin. And repentance, and claiming the blood on that sin in our life, is how we we regain our fresh, viable, lifeblood situation with Jesus Christ. And it says here, let a man examine himself. And I believe this is not just a communion, but one of the reasons, I want to bring this in here, one of the reasons that God instituted these memorial occasions is so that occasionally we have to come face-to-face with the reality of what's supposed to be happening on a regular basis. And it helps to determine, is it? Am I doing these things? Am I there regularly on a daily basis? Or do I just wait till communion time and then do introspection and pray that God would cleanse me and apply the blood and, and just make sure I'm really right during the week of communion, and, and we get past that, and then we kind of kick it into overdrive and go on living? My challenge just this, this morning is that God instituted these memorial situations just to give us a checkpoint to see if the blood is on the doorpost like it's supposed to be. You see, Jesus isn't going to come the day after communion, necessarily. He may come come in the middle when maybe we're not thinking too seriously about our life situation, if that's our lot, if that's the way we operate. And I say if. I could almost say since. We tend to. At least I find that I have to work on that. And it's interesting in, these, in this passage, it says that, uh, it mentions discerning the Lord's body. When we partake of the bread, we are partaking of the body. We are, we are saying that I identify with Christ's broken body. His broken body was his body that needed to die, was broken so that there would be a remedy for sin. And my body, my life, my will needs to be broken and identified with dying with Christ so that I can experience life and fullness of life. He says that if we judge ourselves, then we won't. If we judge, or in other words, if we open our life for God's in, uh, God's inspection and we respond to what God sees and he shows us with proper response of, of repentance, confession, repentance, and faith in the blood. If we, we go through that judgmental process, then he says, you won't be judged with the world. You won't find yourself... And you see, there's the Passover idea. If we have properly applied the blood on a daily basis, when the death angel passes over, we'll be exempt from death. And there is a sense in which daily we are exempt from death in our spirit on an ongoing daily basis. The world is experiencing that death on a daily basis. But the Passover angel can, can acknowledge or, or can sustain our, our life reality in Christ because of the blood. In Revelations 3.19, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be, jealous, be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's Jesus, who is telling the church there at, at Laodicea, You think you've got it right, but you're not right. You're wrong. You're not thinking right. You're not... You're not open to spiritual reality, to my judgment. And he says, I love you. And that's why I'm bringing you up up to task. I'm I'm challenging you. I'm chastening you. And he says, please respond by repenting and getting it right. And that is still the cry of our Savior on a daily basis. Revelation 3.20, the next verse says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock If any man hear my voice and open that door, the door, I will come into him and we will sup And, and we'll sup with him and he with me. Are you partaking of the bread on a daily basis? Are you enjoying that communion with Jesus daily where you recognize that he is your sustenance? It's only as you partake of the reality of God's, of Jesus's provision for you that you can have peace and joy and, and experience the fullness of life in your spirit. I'd like to go back to the Old Testament again. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5 through verse, verse 9. He talks about Bread. Uh, There's a few things I want to draw from this and make application to our life experience. Beginning at verse 5 of Leviticus 24, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in one cake. and Thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. Thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This passage took on new meaning as I was studying for this message, something I had not really seen before in all my types, uh, and that's the way it is. You never finish seeing truth when you're studying the Bible and, and types as well but I'll get to the the newbie in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the fine flour. The idea of fine flour means that the grain, the grains, plural, individual grains, have been ground so that they become one unit of flour. They've lost their identity. They've submitted to the whole, and now they're available to be useful for what God wants them to be. And and this was interesting. It's interesting how these types carry through here. Jesus suffered the grinding, the breaking of, of his individual will so that he was refined and ready to be used to become the bread of life. But that implications and the application applies to us as well. That we need to be able to uh, surrender and die to our own personal will so that we can be beneficial to the whole of the body. Does it mean that we don't have a will? No, it means that our will is surrendered completely, that God, by his spirit, can take our will and make us willing to do the things he wants done. He wants our wills to be active, but he wants it broken, put to death, resurrected with his control, not ours. He I want to say that that uh, thou shalt uh, make these uh, these twelve cakes, two two rows of six. Now, some of you have heard me say this before. I just I find this so interesting because I see this as it relates to communion as well. It's bread. It it has this concept of of broken grains being brought into subjection to one bread, one body, one entity of. Of faith and truth and, and and function of God's working And so in the types when you have two you look for the reality of fellowship. It's kind of interesting as I have thought about some other things that that help us see the reality of that one is baptism. you've never ever heard reference of someone baptizing themselves. It's not appropriate. And one of the reasons I believe that that's true is because it, it delineates the reality that in God, there will be fellowship. There must be fellowship between men. We depend on others for the spiritual realities to be re- real in our life and, and to be able to function. So in baptism, there's there's more than one person involved. And there's some other things like that. I won't get into all those. But fellowship... And number six, there's two sixes here, two rows of six of these cakes on this pure table, the the table of of, um, showbread. And when you have six, that number generally is making a reference to mankind. And most generally, man in his fallen state, in his need of sanctification. And in the candlestick in the tabernacle, we had this... We have this uh, demonstrated very well. We have this candlestick that's standing there <clears throat> has six branches coming out. That that is a representation. Well, maybe I could do it like this. We have three on each side. We have that demonstrates man who needs to be sanctified, and the one in the center is that one that everything comes out of. And that represents Christ. And with Christ added to the need of man and his humanity, you come up with the number seven, which is perfection. We're perfect in Christ. Without Christ, we're still just six. But back to the bread, this two rows of six, you have man's, man and his need is in fellowship together, approaching God for his blessing. Now, here's the point that, was, that I had missed for years. And that is that they had put frankincense on top of these loaves of these cakes of bread. I'm sure I read that but never saw the significance of it. And I don't think I fully understand it yet. But the one thing that a commentator helped me understand was that before, by the way, these this these cakes were baked once a week. And they were there as showbread for all they they, they witnessed all that happened inside of the tabernacle all week long. But But on the Sabbath, the priest would eat that bread and they would have baked new bread to replace it with. So every week it was renewed. But this frankincense they put on top, they actually lit it on fire and burn it off. And I found that so interesting. And frankincense has the idea of of a valuable incense to God. And it mentions in scripture that, and I won't take time to read it all, but it mentions that, that this provided a, an acceptable aroma to God. He, he appreciated smelling that. He knew that there was obedience to his command and, and whatever else, and the fellowship with God interchange, but there's there's an aspect of this I want us to really think about and it comes back to Brother Ellis' devotions and that is this frankincense also is a symbol of the Holy Spirit on, on the situation that we cannot experience the blessing of God without the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit on our life cannot really function unless there's been a fire. You see, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and it's the Holy Spirit's work in our life that we respond to properly that God receives that aroma of a good, good uh, smell in his nostrils. When we, in obedience, confess our sins that we're convicted of and we, we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our life, then we're sanctified. We're no longer uh, mankind in need, but now we're, we're part of the twelve. And part of the twelve means completeness in, under God's authority. So, you see, and this bread is carried over into communion. And some of those same thoughts are still tied to the reality of that bread. You see, the bread is a, a reality of the, uh, it's a type of the body, the whole. And there again, we have that completeness. But it can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, And us surrendering and allowing that to happen. Back to some verses that relate to communion. Back to the New Testament. This is Jesus' words Matthew 10, verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? And the baptism with I be baptized with the baptism that i'm bap, bap, baptized with now this is not particularly communion, but it it ties into communion and I want to explain it a little bit more here I want to read the next verse yet verse thirty nine and they said unto him, we can and Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized in other words they wanted they wanted to um, be on par with Jesus. They they said they they wanted some of them wanted to be right up there in his inner circle. They wanted to be counted as right hand to the to Jesus. Cause some strife in the in the group. And so he asked these two, do you actually want to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Yeah, we want to identify with you. We, whatever it takes, we want to be right up there. We want to be your right hand man. We want to be in your cabinet. And Jesus said, "Well, you will be, but he was implying that you don't understand what you're asking for, but you're going to get what you ask for. He said, you will drink of the cup. And each one of them, all but one of his disciples, died for their faith. They were killed for their faith. They drank of that cup. And I bring this in just to help us understand that when we partake of the cup, we are actually saying by our actions I am willing to be part of Christ and die to myself to be one with him, to be in his cabinet, so to speak. Now, it takes on different things for different people, the reality of that death to self. And yet it needs to happen. It must happen if we're going to be one with him and we're going to experience the blessedness of that one relationship. And that we're one with him is what makes us one with each other. Being one with each other isn't what makes us one with him. And sometimes I think we get that a little confused. I've said already, I think we need to be very careful in church and maybe this this time of COVID has helped us to to sort through some things, but we are not a social club. And the more we know each other, the more we like to be with each other and the more things that we do together with each other that makes us happy and we have fun. That is not what makes us one with each other in Christ, but rather being one with each other is a result of being one with Christ and it makes it possible for us to deal with some things that are difficult with each other. John 18, 11 says, Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword under the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Peter was trying to shortcut Jesus' responsibility. He wanted, he thought he could just step right into government and start governing and bring bring his kingdom into earth right now. That's that's what they thought. And Jesus said, nope, can't do it that way. We gotta go God's way. I gotta drink the cup. I've got to die. I've got to give my life. And so it's essential. If we're going to identify with Christ, then we have to go this route. And I believe that communion was was developed for us to. Like I mentioned earlier, a continual reality by our actions that we identify with this truth. In First Corinthians ten twenty one, I've already read this. No, I haven't. This was a different verse. It says this: First Corinthians ten twenty one. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. What is a table? It's a place where you slide up to and you partake, and you fellowship. And it's either in our life's realities, we're either fellowshipping with the world, and we're at the world's table. We're allowing the things of this life and the world's offerings to satisfy our enter needs, or we're dying to that, and we're drinking the cup of the Lord. We're sitting at his table, and we're, we're feasting with him. We're communing with him. But there's a price to pay for being at that table, and that is you have to drink the cup. His cup. Oh, by the way, the cup at the other table doesn't seem too bad sometimes, but the reality is it is death also, but it's eternal death, not just death to the will now. Tremendous difference, but a lot the same. Only the death that is at the table where we have our feet under with the world will last forever if it's not remedied, and we don't get our feet under Jesus' table. So it's very serious, it's very sobering that we get it right. And so we have these opportunities to evaluate our situation. Are we getting it right? Where am I with God? And so Revelations, uh, Revelation 3.20, following what I read earlier about the uh, about Jesus' invitation, he goes on to say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, then open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. What a beautiful picture. You know, being at Jesus' table, with your feet under his table, eating with him is joy, it's blessedness. And you know what I'm talking about. But my challenge is to us, are we allowing the influences of the world to rob us of those realities? There's a remedy for that. And that's partly wound up, bound up. And, and what communion is about is to, to make sure we're, we're sorting it out on a daily basis. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come in unto him and make our abode with him. You see what it takes? It takes an acknowledging of truth and then living the truth and then you can be in God and he will be in you. Joy and Peace. John 14, 25 says this. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. There we have the Holy Spirit that was poured out on those loaves and offered to God as a a memorial. Are we offering our lives through the Holy Spirit, letting him do his work, Are we we turning that conviction fire into submission reality of dying to self and living in Christ? Psalm 19, 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's feasting with God. Our meditation of our heart continually honoring God. God. And the psalmist's prayer was, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be right. In Romans 13, 14, it says put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You see our tendency, yes our tendency, we all have it is to take our own way and satisfy our own determined desires, that's lust, when it's our will against God's will for self, that's lust. Notice I said our will against God's will. I didn't say our will, period. And so the remedy for not allowing the flesh to have charge is to put on Christ. How we put on Christ? We talked about it this morning. It's, it's the route of the blood of being able to come by faith into that relationship where we partake of the bread. That's how we put on Christ. Galatians 5, 16 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So you cannot do the things that ye would. That's pretty well said. That defines... The human experience reality of the tendency of the flesh, and so the challenge this morning is, and I'm not questioning you, I'm not saying you aren't there. However, on the other hand, I know what it's like to live in the body with these pressures, these tendencies, this this conflict, and so in a, there's a sense in which we can always do better. we can always reach strive for a more complete, perfect reality of being in Christ and so that's my challenge for us this morning not to condemn anyone for where where we haven't quite got it right but to challenge us that as we reach for these emblems as we partake of these emblems that it's a new dedication a new determination within myself to be judging myself and allowing God to judge me and his Holy Spirit and with that determination that choice to love God and to get it right now, if we know that something is out of whack, and we know we're uh, rebellious, then that that uh, warning in First Corinthians is for us to not eat and drink unworthily. And there's a sense in which I'll always say, "Well, we're not worthy." I understand that, but by faith we we surrender, we apply the blood again and again, and we come to that point of of sanctification, where the righteousness of Christ is our righteousness. And it's only because of his righteousness that we can allow to give us that spiritual reality that we can be acceptable in God. In closing, I'd like to read verse 12 of James 1. It said, blessed is that man that endureth temptation. And I would say in this, what I'm referring to here is the temptation in life that, that it's that natural tendency of the flesh to always try to take us away Blessed is the man that endureth that, who when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Those who choose to partake of his bread. Those who choose, make a determination to apply the blood in their life. There's the victory. That's how we experience that wholeness and that communion with him and that that fellowship with him. So I challenge this this morning that we allow this experience to just help draw us to a nut, ratchet up our faith and our determination to be faithful to what we're acclaiming to this morning. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reality of your word. We thank you for the spiritual realities that you have uh, laid out for us. And we thank you for your love that brought it to us and your love that allows us the, the tender working of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us get it right. We thank you for these gifts. And we thank you for the gift of the body of Christ. and We thank you for the, that Jesus is the head of that body. And we thank you, Father, that in a sense he is that body and we are partakers of it. And so, Father, bless us as we partake of these emblems today. But I pray a special blessing on each heart here that your spirit will minister to each need and give that that reassurance and that joy and the blessing of continually feeding on you. And so we ask this for your glory in our lives and for our eternal blessing as we serve you. We ask it all and pray it in Jesus' worthy name, amen.